This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by digital media. Here's my friend Lauren Good from The Verge. Got a word from a sponsor. Today's sponsor is Sortable. Ads suck and monetizing your website is hard work. Sortable uses technology and machine learning to make intelligent decisions about which ad networks will perform best for each user on your site. Stop worrying about your ads and focus on creating great content. Go to sortable.com slash recode. Thanks, Lauren. Today's show is also sponsored by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon makes awesome hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks. I am wearing the socks right now. They are awesome. What do you think, Larry? I like Larry Wilmore, a dapper man. He endorses them. You can't tell Larry, but these also feel great. They're made of antimicrobial fiber. They smell good. I was going to say they have an antimicrobial look to them. Yeah, I thought you were a sock expert. Excellent. You can wear them to work. You could work out with them. You can buff your car. You can buff your car. You can go to a podcast. It's easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com. You get 20% off for the promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. If for some reason you don't like this stuff, you hang on to it. MacWeldon sends you your money back. Very good. That's the deal. They send it back in a sock, actually. 20% off with the promo code RECODE at MacWeldon.com. MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. What do you think, Larry? I like it. You like it. Welcome, Larry Wilmore. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Big week. You're busy. I appreciate your time. I guess. Yeah. Thanks. Up late last <laughs> night watching uh, Trump time. A little bit of that. Um, Got to get my Trump in late at night. That's how I get to sleep. Is a professional mm-hmm. Trump watcher, observer, yes. would you like the primary to be extended longer? He's now all but the official nominee. Uh, we're in the surreal moment now where the reality is now. It's like this fog has now come down. <laughs> you know, It is very surreal. This is a very surreal moment to know that Trump is the actual presumptive nominee. Because everyone was sort of saying, well, maybe something's going to happen. Someone's going to come from the side door. I know. And it's actually been acknowledged by the Republican establishment. And I guarantee you that all of them are going to change their attitudes toward Trump. And it's going to happen very quickly. Because now, all the insults that were hurled against their own. Like, let me give you a good. Whenever you're making fun of people who are like in the room... <laughs> doesn't go over too well. Okay. Yeah. Just as an example. <laughs> talk about that. Yes. So, but now he's going to be making fun of someone, let's say, out of the room, which is Hillary Clinton. He's yeah. going to be hurling all his investments. That's easier for them. Yes. They can rally around that. So, all of those things he said about Cruz and about Rubio and about Bush and all that stuff, all that's gone. Now it's all going to be corrupt Hillary, corrupt Hillary. And what Republican is not going to want to rally behind that? And he's nimble, right? Either because he's intentionally nimble or doesn't yeah. literally care what he's saying. I mean, he, yesterday he said that Cruz's dad had helped kill JFK. And then yes. a couple hours later, he said he's a good dude. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he was pro-killing JFK or something. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Donald Trump's mind contains <laughs> multitudes. So as someone who's going to be weighing in on this for the next mm-hmm. six months, better now that, that, all right, we don't have to worry about making Ted Cruz jokes, it's just Donald Trump jokes, or it's oh, all good. God, I'm going to miss Ted Cruz jokes. I had looked forward to calling him the Zodiac Killer for another month. Um, <laughs> I'm very disappointed about that. I might be able to squeeze one more day out of it. I might get in a joke tonight or whatever. Ugh. I mean, and he was starting to get creepier, too, which was so great for comedy. So, And now he's leaving us. How dare he do no that? More, no more basketball ring I jokes. Know, I know. And he and Fiorina, what a pair. I mean, they were such a nice couple. Oh, my God. I mean, that singing she was doing was so bizarre. It was straight out of a horror movie. It really was. So you still got Bernie for yes. a while longer? Bernie, how about that? I mean, you would think Hillary was the presumptive nominee based on her wins uh, the previous week. To pull out a win in Indiana is very unlikely. 
I was very surprised by that, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, you, you could not have imagined the scenario a year ago, right? I mean, absolutely. You not. thought we were in for a snoozy Bush Clinton campaign. That's what it seemed, right? You probably could have guessed the Democratic side, but you could not have guessed the Republican side. That was impossible. I defy anybody to have guessed that. Um, what would we have thought? Bush, at least near the top, if not right. the top, right? Maybe Rubio is sort of a... I thought Rubio, I really thought Rubio was going to be an insurgent candidate. He had the ability, it seemed like in the beginning he had this ability to do that kind of soaring oratory that Obama did, you know, earlier. And uh, he seemed like he'd be a fresh face for the party, right? Had a lot of things seem to be in his favor. And Trump deconstructed him so amazingly I mean, he filleted him and just left him out to dry, and there was nothing left. When, when did Trump click for you, right? Because he shows up, and he's on the elevator in Trump Tower. It's yeah. just a joke. It seemed like a joke, right? And so when do you go, oh, no, no, this is, a, this is a thing? It seemed like a joke to me for a long time. I mean, I couldn't believe it when he went after John McCain. Good luck finding anyone who doesn't think that right. man Right, normally is, that's the end of your campaign. Yes, who doesn't think that man is, is a hero, right? I mean, anyone who gets captured in a war and is tortured is a hero by any means, right? By any standard. And to go after him, the Republicans have always been the guardians of the military. You know, they're always the one out front supporting that, you know. Not that the Democrats don't, but they have it, you know, they wear it on their sleeves, right? So you would have think that would have destroyed him in his own party. But no, his numbers immediately went up. At that point, I said, okay, something different is going on. You know, the Megyn Kelly thing and all that stuff, that just seemed more like people liked him because he was brash, you know. That seemed unlikely, but it was more spectacle. And you go, right. okay, he's creating a show, so that's why people like him. You know, And uh, I don't know, there was something in the fall where it just seemed like, this is something different. His numbers never went down during that Herman Cain period. Right. You know, <laughs> where people go, oh, wait, this guy's an idiot. You know, there's a right. period. Right, the Rick Perry time. Exactly. This. There's usually, it's like a four-week period in October, November where people reassess what's really going on and real candidates start emerging. You know? is, is he and it didn't happen with him. Because he's such a broad caricature of a yeah. person, is, is it less satisfying to have him as a comedic target or is he just know. a that, gift? That's a really good question because in the beginning, it was completely a comedic gift, right? But as he becomes more of a caricature, it's actually harder to write jokes about that because the actual thing is funnier than anything else. Right. And then uh, he's impervious to all this stuff like we just talked about. Completely impervious. He's very much of a sociopath when it comes to people making fun of him or everything. But at the same time, he's so thin-skinned. That part is hilarious how thin-skinned he is. And then I like when he's all gracious after the fact, after he wins. <laughs> you know, Yeah, the Ted Cruz. He's kind of a smart guy. He's a good fighter. Yeah. Did you, did you, you never had him on? Oh, Trump, no. Would absolutely. you have him on? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're available tomorrow. He's the nominee of the Republican Party. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I understand. It's a good get. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you're a good get. Would be a good get in any week. This week, particularly excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you very much. After the correspondence dinner. So I want to talk to you about what happened. But I think it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about sort of how you got there. Because there's literally only a handful of people who have done the, is it called a roast? I mean, what's the, what's the formal title of, of, of what you do at the White That House is a very dinner? good question and a very good distinction. <laughs> I felt it was a roast, you know, and you are kind of chief roast master. And I guess it takes on various degrees of that. People approach it in that way. So how does it work? They, some, do they reach out to you? It's the White House. Who is yeah, the person who makes that they, happen? They have a different person who organizes it every year. So they have a White House Correspondents Association, and they choose a person each year 
to organize the event. And so you don't lobby for it? You don't ask for it? It comes to you? No. Well, I know I remember telling my people I'd like to do it, and I really don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I got a call from Carol Lee, I think in December or November, saying they'd like me to do it if I was interested. And is that a straight yes? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. No, you don't You don't don't pause? No, 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 no. You serve, as they say, you serve at the pleasure of the president, you know. An opportunity to do that is huge. And it's something that, I guess, kind of secretly, I really wanted to have the opportunity to do that for this particular president. And so November, December, you know you're going to do it. And then yeah, I think it was December. Yeah. Are you working on it then up Not until yet. then? I was just working through all my nerves. <laughs> you're kind of overwhelmed. It's a little too early because, you know, a lot of the things are probably going to be topical. Right. Anything you write in December is probably forgotten by the time it's April 30th. So you start so working on it. When? I started working about a month out. And uh, Robin Thede, who's a writer on the show, she was uh, my chief collaborator on this, and she helped uh, organize a lot of the people who wanted to help out and send jokes and help so, me jam. So you've got your own writing team, and then you, yes. you, you solicit people from, from yeah, outside? some friends and that kind of stuff. And I assume it's, well, you're used to doing a nightly thing, mm-hmm. right? right? Without really prepping it much, right? You sort of write it that day. Yeah, we, it's not like weeks of prep, like right. a sitcom or that type of thing. Right. But normally, right, if, if you're doing an actual comedy routine on stage, you've, mm-hmm. you've done it more than once. You've worked it out maybe a, a couple of years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So here, you've got it pretty much your shot out of canon. Yeah. So there's no way to test it. Really not. You know, there's no way to know what the room is like. And everyone tells you it is one of the toughest rooms. And they're really right. And it's, it's just that way for a number of reasons. The room is a very large room. The acoustics aren't very good. It's hard to hear the it's response. It's a bad place for comedy, right? It is not ideal for comedy if you're a comedian. <laughs> because a comedian, you're used to that immediate unified response right. that's either going to be good or bad. You can tell instantly whether a joke works or not. In this room, you're not sure. It may be working in this part of the room and not this part of the room. Uh, it, may be, it may be dying right in front of you, and there may be laughs over here. Or, you know, So it's hard to, to really judge what the room is. So know? do you go out and, and are you getting tips from Seth Meyers or other folks who've done this no, before? No, not much. You just try to go by instinct and cobble together what you hope is a good routine. Because I'm just so busy you know, doing my show. It's hard to invest a, a full amount of time to it. Yeah. And so what are you thinking about as you're putting it together? I was reading it. There was that great Times piece, sort of the trailing you before you went on stage. And oh, yeah, Stephen yeah. Colbert's in your head. Sure. You've got his old time slot. <laughs> yes, yes. And Stephen famously did this sort of performance art piece. Yeah, he did. The terrible in the room. Yeah. was fantastic. Right. Are you thinking, I want to do that? I want to <laughs> not do that? I want to do was, something else? Wasn't thinking about it at all. I really viewed this as a roast where, yeah, I have nothing against anybody in that room or anything, but I thought, yeah, you get to... This is the time when you get to poke at people and, you know, pull down that wall, you know, and, and have some fun, you know. And uh, and that's the way I approached it. So all the jokes were in that kind of vein, you know. So you're sitting, you're watching the president. Yeah. By all accounts, his best performance. Yeah. He's been working on eight years. He's he smooth. His, he's a smooth guy. And he's yeah. really good, right? Because oh, he's, he's in he's... second semester of senior mode. So yes, exactly. He, he knows he he's wants. on his way out. He knows senior day is right around the corner. Yeah. And so you know, mm-hmm. you sort of know that's coming as well. But as you're watching him perform, yeah. you know you're going on next. You're like, oh, man. This oh, is... yeah. It's, all of that is terrifying, you know. But once you're doing it, it, you're just up there. And it's just like any other performance as, you know, when you're a stand-up. But all the leading up to it is almost unbearable. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm, I feel nervous now it's talking about it. unbearable. But here's what I have to say. I really, really have to say how enjoyable it was to sit next to the first lady and have a nice chat, 
I mean, she made me feel so comfortable. We talked about things from our kids to politics to a little bit of pop culture to just having fun looking at the room. I mean, all kinds of little yeah. things, you know, to the food. I mean, everything. She was so nice and such a normal person. It was fantastic. So that really put me at ease a lot. And Major Garrett from CBS News is on my other side. And he's a really great guy. And we had a little bit of a conversation too. Yeah. So yeah. knocks out a few of the nerves. Yes, it knocks out a few of the. But you're still following your the performance the anxiety yeah. nerves. Yeah. Oh, those that big ball of, oh shit, I might not do well is always there. Anybody that tells you that's not there is is not telling the truth. And then do you have to go? All right, I, I was going to use that joke, but I can't because the president. Well, just see, used that's that joke. the thing that you're most afraid of. Okay, you're saying, yeah, I'm listening like a hawk to say, is there any joke that he's doing that is exactly my joke? If it's close, I won't worry about it too much. Because I'll just do my particular joke on it. And as a comic, you know, you can always say, just like the president said, blah, blah, blah. You know, so you can do that type of thing. You know, Mr. President, I agree with you when you said blah, blah, blah. You know, in fact, my blah, blah, blah is da, da, da. You know, so you can amend things like that, depending on what it was. But it turned out there wasn't anything that we overlapped that was an actual joke. And to be clear, you, uh-huh. you haven't seen his thing before. No, nope, I have know? no idea. And, and, and have you, the White House or anyone vetted what you're doing? No, but I, I talked to a couple of writers ahead of time. They wanted to say, hey, man, if there's anything that you want to make sure that the president's not doing, if you're doing or whatever... And I said, well, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know? And we talked for a little bit, and they hadn't finished, and I hadn't quite finished, and they gave me kind of a general idea, but not really. And I kind of told them, yeah, I was going to make fun of the candidates and do some jokes about the media. I just gave them the basic outlay. And they said, great. Yeah, and they said, That's okay. what we're doing, too. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah. I figured he'd do it in a different way yeah. anyway. Yeah. And so, I was going to make fun of the president, too, which he's going to make fun of himself, and I knew those jokes wouldn't be the same. Yeah. So he literally drops the mic. You go yeah. up. Yes. And what's your sense of the room sort of as you're starting out? Um, it seemed like the room, you know, what's interesting is listening to it live, it seemed like the president did well, but you couldn't tell how well it was because of the nature of the room. So I thought, okay, the president did great, you know, but it didn't seem like, oh man, there's no way I can follow it. Like it didn't seem like that, you know, I'm just talking pure comic terms, right. you know. So I get up and I think, okay, let me do my thing. Let's see how it goes. So once I, I started, I remember I went up and they started applauding and it stopped pretty quick. And so there's this kind of empty space. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of commented on it, you know. And you always wonder, mm, if you comment on it, you might mess up the timing of your first joke. So you're always thinking about that, you know. And uh, so I did the first joke and it seemed to go well, you know. And uh, then the second one went okay. But those were all kind of, first one was making fun of Fox News. Second one was making fun of Trump, I think. And then what was the third one? Was it about, a, oh, it was a Lester Holt joke, Yeah, I think. Which kind of got a, a very kind of, oh, and I was very surprised. I'm like, what? You know, That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to make fun of the people in the room. And- yeah, and it, was, it wasn't it was a hard jab or anything. I said, you know, tell you a little about myself. I'm a black man who replaced a white man who pretended to be a newscaster. So in that sense, Lester Holt and I have a lot in common. You know, um, It was, if anything, it seemed like a gentle kind of swipe at Brian Williams. Exactly. You know, yeah. The old Brian Williams joke, which had been done a lot of times. And I, I even thought, oh, I don't know. Are we still doing Brian Williams joke? You know, so even I was on the fence about that one. But I thought it'd be fun to compare myself to Lester Holt, yeah. you know, as an introduction. You know, but the response was very odd to me. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And uh, then I did, um, I think I did the Obama Steph Curry joke, dropping bombs. Yes. Okay. Now that one I knew might get kind of a ooh because you're saying something that isn't. Su- it's a joke that's not in support of the president. It's a joke that's. Critical of the president. Yeah. So I knew that might get a little, ooh, you know. But that's okay. I wasn't too worried about that. But I could still sense there was a little, like, resistance in there. 
And then I do the, the Wolf Blitzer joke. And the tone of that was so completely against what the room wanted to hear. It just completely, there was so much resistance. And I thought, oh, man, this is not. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. where you knew? Oh, absolutely. I knew right. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I go, uh-oh. All right. This approach right here, the approach of this joke is not what this room is going to like tonight. But you've already got a script and you're I going. got a whole script in front of me that's full of that. So as it happens, we pulled that clip when okay, I was great, watching. Great. What, you want to hear it real sure, quick? Sure, go for it. I can it's squirm not, it. It's not going to. It looks like you're really enjoying your last year of the uh, presidency. Um, saw you hanging out uh, with NBA players like Steph Curry, Golden State Warriors. That was cool. That was cool, yeah. You know, it kind of makes sense, too, because both of you like raining down bombs on people from long distances, right? <laughs> Yeah, sure. What? Am I wrong? What? <laughs> Speaking of drones, how is Wolf Blitzer still on television? <laughs> Ask a follow-up question. Good. <laughs> hey, Wolf, I'm ready to project tonight's winner. Anyone that isn't watching the Situation Room. <laughs> yeah, it was an actual hiss. Yes. And it's not a joke. Right. Probably. So the follow up ended up being worse than the <laughs> the first part. <laughs> and, and I got a little bit thrown in it. And I think, I don't know, I just got thrown in the middle of it. And I was processing a million miles a second. And I don't know, I wasn't even happy with my delivery of that, to be honest with you. But that's okay. But the tenor of that joke was not for that room. From my point of view, that was a roasty style joke, you know. And by the way, the kind of thing you would say on your show exactly. all the time. Not meant any like harm towards Wolf Not Blitzer. the first time someone's made fun of yeah, Wolf Blitzer to fun, his face. It's a fun poke at Wolf, if anything, you know, like stop droning. I and mean, people say, get out of that situation room, like that type of joke, you know. But I think it came off a lot harder than what I really had intended. I wasn't trying to throw a big bomb at Wolf Blitzer, in other words, right? Right. But because of the way it came across, now here's what happens in stand-up. Only stand-ups can relate to this. Once you get in an adversarial position with the audience, it's really tough to get them on your side because doing a comedy act is about getting people in your train early and taking them for a ride. If you're spending most of your time trying to get them back on the train that they jumped off of, it's very difficult. And you've got a script. Yes. And you can't walk off early. Correct. You're, you're locked in. Correct. And I'm not doing my act. I'm doing jokes that I don't normally do, right? Because so, even when you're doing your act, you know you can maybe, like if you're doing a normal stand-up act, okay, if that happened in my normal stand-up act, I'd probably do a little improv or I'd do some jokes that I know are guaranteed jokes. I'd do a little poking and that type of thing. Like I would do surgery to fix that. You have none of your I'd tools I'd do surgery available. to fix that wound. Right. <laughs> you know, comedy surgery to fix that wound. And then I'd keep going. That's how I would do it as a professional comic in a comedy club doing my act. This is a presentation of comedy that, you know, has a script that I really can't go off of. But I start editing in my head. From this moment on, I'm editing jokes. You're doing it live on the fly. That's I'm, the only I'm, thing you can do is that's, cut. That's what I'm doing now, is I'm saying, okay, what can now stay and what has to go? And it, every time I do a joke, I'm making a new assessment of what I have to get rid of. Yeah. So you're whittling down as you whittling go? Whittling down. You were tossing stuff out That's live. absolutely right. <laughs> yes. what's, the, what's the best one you, you had to toss out? Do you remember? Oh, I don't even know. Uh, there was, uh, well, some just, uh, they just didn't have enough. If people were on my side, I could have done it because they were more attitude type jokes, you know. I think I did a Will Smith joke about thanks for not boycotting or something like that. Uh -huh. But, you know, 
It's crazy to imagine having to do that. Yeah. It's improv, but it's not really improv. You're just sort of removing stuff as you go on that stage. Live time editing. You're editing in real time. Next to the president. Next to the president in front of people who are not on your train. (laughs) And you're hoping to squeeze any kind of, you know, I want people to have a good time, you know, and want people to enjoy it. But like, so then I get to my joke about the president and the setup to that. When I say, Mr. President, you look terrible, it was supposed to be a lighthearted, you look terrible. But now, because of what I said about Wolf, that comes across harder than it should have. And so people are like, oh, kind of resistance to that. I'm like, I'm, why would I, in my mind, I'm thinking, why would I tell the president he looks terrible and mean it, you guys? It's a joke. Again, a standard <laughs> joke, right? The yes. president ages you look over terrible, time. Mr. President. What's yeah. wrong with you, Mr. President? You look terrible. You know, it's that type of thing, right? But I was very proud of the joke that was about to come. And now that joke, I didn't care how they responded to. So hmm. let's talk about that for a second. Let's set that up. So when do you call it? And I'm not sure joke? if I did that joke just next. I think I may have done a Biden joke. But you know it's coming. You know it's at the end. It's Oh, well, you're talking about the, oh. the end of the show. Okay. You, I was talking about uh, the joke about the president's hair. The president's hair is so white, it tried to punch me at a Trump rally. <laughs> so that was the first. And then the president's hair is so white, it keeps saying all lives matter. I'm like, okay, I get it. All lives matter. And I really, I really liked those jokes, you know, but... It, those two jokes, if the audience isn't with you, you don't know how they're going to respond yeah. to it. But at that point, I really didn't care how they respond to that because I really did like so, those by jokes. By the way, in retrospect, why do you think that stuff wasn't landing? What I think the way that I did the Wolf Blitzer joke, I think it came across very mean-spirited. That's my own assessment of it. And they were off that train. And I think there were a lot of jokes directed at the media in that room. And I guess they just didn't land the way you would want them to. But once they weren't with me, they were taken adversarially in a way that wasn't fun. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you can be adversarial, but we can both agree that we're having fun, or it can be adversarial and we can be in non-agreement about how fun this moment is. When you're watching it, and I watched it after the fact, it's really hard to figure out. It seems like the audience didn't realize they were going to be roasted or that the point of this thing was to do. It's very confusing. It's very confusing to me, too. I was thrown by it. I was completely thrown by it because I thought, wait, isn't that what they do here is roast people? Right, and you're going to be, and the audience is going to be on camera. That's the point is to be I seen. I thought that's what they did every year. I remember Seth Meyers, he did how, all the stuff about Donald Trump who was sitting right there, yeah. you know. So I was completely thrown by that. I didn't understand. I thought, okay, maybe these jokes are too hard hitting. I don't know, you know. So I want to talk about the finale. Before we do that, I'm going to sure. sell some more stuff. Hang on. Today's sponsor is Sortable. Sortable isn't your typical ad tech company. They're a company built on data using technology and machine learning to make intelligent decisions. Their ad engine analyzes millions of ad impressions every day, and they're working with all of the major ad networks, including Google, AppNexus, AOL, OpenX, and Amazon, just to name a few. In real time, they analyze users, geography, device types, session depth, layouts, networks, and bids. Using machine learning, their ad engine understands which ad network is going to pay the most for every impression, and of course, make sure those ad networks fill your ad space. Bottom line is that they're working on some really interesting stuff, and they're helping a growing list of web publishers make more money and stop worrying about their ads. These guys started out as publishers, so they know how much work it takes to make money online. Check them out at sortable.com recode. Sortable is making ads suck less at sortable.com recode. I also need to tell you about something very important. You know this, but just a reminder, Mother's Day is this weekend. 
So if you haven't got mom something, you got to hurry up. Your mom has been an expert on everything. It's time to help pay her back. She's the one who told you how to cook. She's the one who helped you with the relationship. She fixed your cuts and bruises. If you had that kind of mom, I had a mom with a good sense of humor. She took me to Mel Brooks movies when I was really way too young to see him. So thanks for that, mom. Mother's Day. Time to reward you. The one thing you can't do is go to her for advice on what to get her for Mother's Day. And that's where I, Peter Kafka, am going to help. You will look like an expert on Mother's Day when you use Pro Flowers. You get your mom 100 blooms with a free glass vase for $19.99, plus shipping and handling. If you really like your mom, you spend a little more, you upgrade to a premium vase. You add gourmet chocolates, 10 bucks more. Your mom's worth it. Go to proflowers.com. Use my code Kafka, K-A-F, like Frank, K-A. Proflowers makes it easy to get this stuff. You know this because you've ordered flowers from Proflowers before. I can also endorse them because they are sitting on my desk at work. They look great. Everyone's very impressed that Peter Kafka has flowers on his desk. Thank you, Proflowers. Look, here's the only catch. You've got to hurry up and order these now. You get 100 blooms of a free glass vase starting at $19.99. You go to proflowers.com. Click the blue microphone in the top right corner. Type in Kafka. The offer expires Friday at midnight. You are probably listening to this on Thursday, so get going. Go to proflowers.com, click on the microphone, type in Kafka. Now we're back with Larry. Larry, we spent 20 minutes, I think, talking about your 20-minute... You you were on stage for 20 minutes. We talked about it for 20 minutes, but I want to talk about the finale. Sure. I'm going to call it the N-word joke. Okay. There's no better way for me to talk about it, Mm -hmm. unless you have one. When did you conceive of that? I would say several weeks before, maybe a month. It's hard to say that it's a joke, you know. I kind of saw it as, I don't know. I don't even know how to quantify it. But um, I was talking about this the other day, and it's hard to deconstruct your own things, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I really wanted to have a moment where I honored what this first black president really meant to me and to really express it as sincerely as I could and as directly. And um, I used that analogy that when I was growing up, you know, People couldn't even accept a black quarterback, you know, that that notion was anathema, you know. And now we see a black man is leading the free world and how amazing that is, you know. And that moment of saying, uh, you know, of just keeping it 100 and just like saying, as a fellow black person here in America, this is, I call this public solitude. This is a private keeping it real moment I'm having with the president right now in front of everybody. That's what that moment represented to me. Right. You know, when I said that. So I didn't view it as... And you could have said all that mm-hmm. without... You don't want to call it a punchline, maybe, but without, without the punchline. Without no that way of saying it. Right. I could have said it a number of different ways. Right. So when you say, I'm going to say it, do you know I'm, I'm going to be provocative? I'm going to be transgressive? I know I'm going to raise well, eyebrows? I or didn't, I didn't put all that on it. I knew it, was, it would be a controversial thing to do, and I went back and forth about doing it, not doing it. You know, I ran it by, you know, some people and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I think I thought about to the almost up to the end about maybe doing it or not doing it. Like so, while you're live? I may have. While yeah. you're on stage saying, yeah, do, do I go for it? Especially the way the night was going. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you decided to go for it because... Well, I figured at that point I may as well stick to my script, you know, and just do that. So, yeah. And that one, I think they cut right to Obama. It seems like mm-hmm. he understood what you were saying. Mm-hmm. At that point, do you even care what the room thinks or that's for Barack Obama well, it and no one else? It really was... Yes, that was for... That's what I mean by public solitude, you know. That was that moment where it was, uh, you got to see how we interact when you're not there, you know. This is how we do it. Not all of us, you know. But this is a moment that we would have that you get to see that I'm sharing with the president right now. And this is a word in particular that has been used against black people for so long. I was called a nigger as a child growing up. 
I was called it several times, I've heard that word, to defuse that and to use it in a way of camaraderie and to take the power out of that in that moment is something that, you know, meant a lot to me personally. And do you, you, know, do you think that registered with him? May, you, could oh, you see oh, with that? him, yeah. it, he was immediately effusive. You know, he gave me, a, you know, a palm, as we say, and all that, you know. And uh, he was very kind and everything. If he was feeling something else, he certainly didn't show it, you know. And he was very gracious in his comments the next day. But on the dais there, he and the First Lady were nothing but kind. And he even called me, Larry, come on, let's take a picture. Come on over here. <laughs> you know, it was that type of thing. So, yeah, I didn't get a sense that... Uh, that he looked and said, motherfucker, what did you just say? <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So And so so you get off stage and then you think, all right, that worked at least. I mean, how, what's your well, sense I of don't how that? No, I got off stage. As a comedian, I got off stage thinking, oh, man, I don't know if any of this came across right? the way I wanted to at all. You know, so I did not have a great feeling when I came off. I was happy that I was finished. I was relieved. But um, I had no idea how people would actually respond to it. So, no idea. So there was an immediate sort of Twitter thing, oh, you're bombing, it's terrible. And mm-hmm. then there was sort of a backlash to the backlash. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like there were a couple of different tracks after that, the next couple of days. There sure. was a discussion about the N-word. Right. There was a discussion about... There are about three different tracks. Yeah. Right. right. There's the N-word discussion. There's the overall discussion. Larry Wilmer did horrible. He's a horrible person. How could he say <laughs> any of this? Larry Wilmer did great. He saved the world. This is fantastic. Larry Wilmer... Did great until the end when he ruined it, you know. Right. Do you pay attention to that stuff, or is that any of that resonant with you? Or are you reading your press? Well, it, look, it really touched me that people really responded to my intentions in the material. Absolutely, that really meant a lot because that was my intention was to treat it as a roast and to and to make these jokes that were observations, you know. And uh, you know, when I talk about CNN's countdown clock, I mean, why does a news station have a countdown clock? You know, I mean, I feel like that's a valid observation. <laughs> Someone pointed this out that CNN seemed particularly hurt by that. Van yeah. Jones was going after you. I know. There was a story on CNN.com. CNN the, Money? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Larry Wilmore missed a chance to boost his sagging nightly show. <laughs> I, know, I saw that. I know. I, I don't know how you were supposed to boost it over I, the weekend. I have no idea. But they went ahead and said, your ratings I are I how I missed the chance. We didn't come back on after it. You know? They're very, they, they really did not think you helped the show. They, well, I don't think they like me very much have right you, now. Have you talked to them? Anyone there? I was supposed to do Don Lemon's show, but um, they decided that they only wanted to cover politics this week after uh, <laughs> he invited me on his show. So, There's, I saw uh, your publicist had a great photo of, of you and Don Lemon afterwards. Where he's, he's Don Lemon was very life. nice, to be honest. He seemed to understand it. He was very nice. He knew it was roast. You know, I saw him afterwards. We kind of did one of those things or gave each other some shit. And I've seen Don before. He's he's actually a very nice guy. You know, he took it in the spirit that it was. But I think some others didn't. But some did. Many news people came up to me and really enjoyed it, thought it was great. You know, seeing him, people, all kinds of people. I had one of the best conversations with Megan Kelly and Brett Baer. Um, afterwards, who I've met before and who are very nice and enjoyed it, had a great time, said, good job, man, you did great. All it that seems stuff, like the so. whole point of that evening is that everyone is in on the joke. And I mean, if you want to be critical of the evening, it's sure. that everyone's in on the joke and sure. the media and the press, uh, the media and the politicians right. are too chummy. But it's, yeah. it's sort of, again, I'm still sort of surprised. It that really was are... just jokes. It wasn't anything more than that, yeah. you know. If anything, like what you're saying, I get it. The last thing definitely is controversial, but the rest of it to me are just jokes, you know. But the last thing is more of a cultural thing. You right. know? That's something that I get because people are, have problems with that for completely different reasons than the rest of the set. So that I understand and I acknowledge. And I know that that was very dangerous and risky. So I have a complete 
humility of acknowledgement, I guess, to, I don't know if that makes any sense. And, and the White yeah. House, not, not Obama himself, but, mm-hmm. but one of his aides came out and said, Josh Ernest, you yeah. said, we get it, we understand what he was Absolutely. doing. And by the way, a very gracious thing to say, incredibly kind of the president to do that. And that, um, does that give you air cover? Do you feel, all right, look, the, it it's was been just, endorsed by Barack Obama publicly. I'm good. I don't know if I would even say that. I would just say it was a very kind and gracious thing of the president to do. And I am forever grateful for that is what I would say. Did they reach that. out privately at all? Oh, no. There's no, no reason to do that. So that's you're good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know about being good or not, yeah. you know. But um, that was very nice for the president to do that. So you're back producing the show this week. Yes. First night back, you do a bit. Are mm-hmm. you, do you keep coming back to this? Or is this, you, other than talking to people like me, is this, are you done with the story? Oh, I don't know. I'll answer questions as long as people want to ask them about it. You know, I'm happy to do so and uh, to talk about it. I think we've started a conversation about the power of the N-word and what that means in our cultural conversation, which I think can be a positive thing, hopefully. I don't have any attachment to the set at all. You know, for me, that's what I do for a living. You know, you do your jokes, they either work or they don't. (laughs) You know, you're happy if people enjoy it. You're, you know, kind of sad if they don't. I mean, I can't can't tell you who did the roast last year, Mm -hmm. but people are going to... Cecily Strong. There you go. Mm -hmm. But people are going to know that you did this one for a long time. You're you're in the record books. That's something. And and by the way, I got a lot of nice personal comments from people. John Stewart sent me a really nice note. Stephen Colbert, shout out on the air. Publicly, yeah. Absolutely. Very nice. And, uh, you know, all that means a lot, too. So So let me me ask you about the show itself. You've been at it for a year plus, Yeah, a little bit over a year. Right, a year and a few months. I'm just always interested whenever I talk to someone who does what you do. You you put on a show. It's on late night. You're presumably trying to attract an audience that probably isn't watching TV, probably maybe isn't watching cable, may not even have cable. Mm. How do you think about delivering something at night that your audience may not see till the next day on YouTube or Hulu or wherever? Or do you not yeah. think that way? It is difficult these days. It's so different than the way it used to be, where people consumed it in the moment, you know, and that's been changing exponentially just even over the last maybe three years, right? Um, especially with apps and with Facebook, people watch clips of your show. And so now you do, yeah, there is an acknowledgement of that when you write the shows. You know that. This particular, just this sketch alone may be something that's picked up out there. And that may be all someone sees of your show and maybe the only experience they have, you know. And then you have what are called dedicated followers, people who watch your show. You know, they watch it at night and that type of thing. But that share is dwindling all across television, all across the right. board, you know. So you have to, it's even hard to just quantify how your show is doing with ratings alone. Uh, there are many shows out there, that's why they do like Live Plus 3, Live Plus 7, and they measure things like how your show feels out there in the culture. You know, are people talking about it, sharing it? Like you look at James Corden's show. James Corden's show is an unbelievable hit on YouTube. You know, but if you just looked at his ratings, you would go, yeah, it's okay. But if you look at YouTube and how many times his videos have been shared. With the carpet. It's an international sensation. Yeah. You know, so how do you really measure that show? It has, you- it has a bigger value. I'm sure CBS would have to recognize that too than just the number that's on that rating. Do you guys spend time thinking about, can we make something that's going to travel Not on really. Facebook, you on don't, YouTube? No, you don't think of it that cynically. That would be more like an ad agency, you know? We think of it more in comic terms, you know? Is this funny? Does it work? You know, what are we saying? Blah, blah, blah. We think of it in those terms. And then it's after the fact. It's like, 
oh man, oh that's great. Hopefully that'll work. Like, are are you okay if you have fans, people who really like what you do, and they only watch you online? They're they're never tuning that's in. Okay, like, hey, if anybody's watching me in any way, I'm happy. Yeah, I won't reject any way somebody <laughs> wants to watch me. And the if stuff, they're watching me in a taxi cab. I'm happy. Yeah. Right, and the stuff you guys do, SNL. I mean, all that stuff is sort of like design. I mean, it's not designed, but it, mm-hmm. it could have been designed for the internet. Right, five minute chunks. You can watch it. In right, bits. you don't. There's no setup. Right, right, right. It's all there. Yeah, like we have little breakout things is what we call them, breakouts. So, like, we did a thing on Monday night where um, I had our Donald Trump on the show, and he was he ended up critiquing my review of Saturday Night. And it's very funny. That's something that plays on its own. You don't have to see the all the stuff leading up to that. So that's, like, something that can travel and complain a little chunk and that kind of thing. And so, again, because there's, there's a difference between your show and Trevor Noah's show. Right. One big difference is that you were blessed by John Stewart. John Stewart brought you in. Stephen Colbert brought you The same you Trevor in. also. Yeah, I mean, at least the discussion around it is that he had less of a say in that. No, no, no. no. Trevor was John's pick. John wanted Trevor to do it. He uh, brought Trevor on the show because he really liked uh, his style and what he did. And uh, I know Trevor was John's first pick for the show. I stand corrected. Mm -hmm. Um, One other difference, though, right? At least he was able to sort of bring you on. Sure, absolutely. I built an audience on John's show and that type of thing, built a relationship. And and how much were you thinking, all right, I need to do something that's like what I've been doing on John's show, Mm -hmm. that's like Stephen's show, but is also different? Or do you go, I'm just going to make what I want to make? No, you have to. Well, you you don't think too much about... Steven's thing, you just, I know that I'm not going to do a character and I'm going to be myself and that's going to be the distinction. And and for me, if anything, like Steven did satire by playing someone else and and by uh, doing the opposite, let's say, joke. And I thought, well, I almost have to do the opposite of that. You know, that's why I call it keeping it 100, keeping it real yeah. and just doing the real thing and being, you know, as real as I can. And that's the opposite of that. And then we have The Daily Show. So when I first did my show, and John's still on the air, we had to make sure we're not stepping over what the Daily Show's doing. Right, you're literally coordinating in some cases. Yes, there. well, in some ways, but sometimes you just can't help it. You just right. cover the same things. But the initial concept of our show was just really as only a purely chat show. That's how John initially conceived it. But we realized we wanted to have that comic component in the beginning when we started developing it. And so it kind of became more of this hybrid thing. So it's always been, we, it took us a while to kind of find how to really do that properly. Do you ever read your Wikipedia page? I don't think so. I I read it when it first came up and so many things were wrong, and I tried to change it, and I wasn't allowed to. I'm like, but wait a minute. This is about me. So that's the heavy lifting research-wise I do. I was looking at it last night. There's there's a crazy thing about you angering Bill Nye's fans. Oh, the Reddit thing? The Reddit thing. It says this is contributed to— That's on the Wikipedia page? It is on your Wikipedia page, and then it says this has been devastating for his ratings. The the premise is because Mm -hmm. a bunch of people on Reddit are angry because you were mean to Bill Nye. No, Jon Stewart left The Daily Show— (laughs) <laughs> and we were on the air for a month without John Stewart. That's when our ratings went down. Yeah. You know, nobody angered Bill Nye. Bill no, Nye no, had it's, a great time uh, on our show. And by the way, we were talking about Mars. I mean, anybody that that doesn't want to watch a show after you have a discussion about water on yeah. Mars. That's insanity. It's, it's not a very good Wikipedia entry as far as they go. It doesn't even. I don't even know why it would be on there. You got to ask the but, but whoever Wikipedia. drew that inference, why? That sounds like a true thing. Makes no sense to me. That doesn't sound like a fan of a show. If you are a true fan, yeah. I would never stop watching John Stewart because he had one segment on where I thought, well, John disrespected that guy. <laughs> well, I'm not watching John anymore. Well, I don't think you're a fan of John, you know. And there's another criticism. Just it's a view, but it's of everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Which is everyone says, oh man, the, the political scene, Trump, it's crazy. Yeah. 
wish John Stewart was here. There's sure. no one here to talk. Like John Stewart would do a million things with this. Mm-hmm. You're on the air. Trevor's on the air. Sure. Samantha Bee's on the air. Mm-hmm. John Oliver's on the air. What are people not getting from you that they imagine they would get from John? Well, look, uh, no one was Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was one of a kind. Jay Leno and David Letterman couldn't replace him, but they did their own thing, you know, and they had their own followings and that type of thing, but they weren't Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson wasn't Jack Parr, you know. <laughs> he didn't do what Jack Parr did, you know. Whenever someone new comes out, they do their own things. Also, now you have more guardians and watchdogs of the media doing it with John and Samantha and myself and Trevor and even Steven still doing some of it in his show. So you have a lot of people doing the same thing. When John did it, he was the only one. Right. He was the only one doing that. You know, and John is a genius. He's brilliant. You cannot replace John Stewart. It's impossible. So if people are expecting that, it ain't going to happen. We're not that smart. John Stewart is not coming through that door. And we're not that smart. We're we're not as smart as John. I'm sorry. You know, he's John is he brings so much humanity and brilliance to what he does. I'd be so lucky if I had some of that brilliance, but I don't. You know, I have my own take on things, but I—I'll I, be the first to admit you're right. I ain't John Stewart. You know, I like your take on things. You're, you're comfortable now on the show. You—it's where you want it to be. Yeah, if we're having fun. You know, you always still try to find things. Um, I love uh, the cast that we have doing those different types of things. I do like uh, the way we do our panels now. That we use people on our show, and we usually just have one guest. It's a better way to honor somebody coming on the show instead of trying to have too many people. We have really some really cool guests. We had uh, Quinta Brunson on the show last night. She's this young... BuzzFeed uh, star, right? Yeah, she's fantastic. She's so funny. And she's such an interesting character. You know, when I see her talk, I go, I can listen to this person for a long time. I want to hear her, her point of view on the world. And we love taking on the point of view of the underdog, which was our mission from the beginning, finding those types of stories, who's being underrepresented. People you don't normally see on TV, specifically, Correct. right, you're bringing on people the, of color. That type of thing. And as well as stories that represent that, like the Flint, Michigan story, you know, and putting some attention to that, making sure we don't forget the people there and what that's about, finding the comic ways to present that, all those types of things. You know, so we're, I love that that's the mission of our show and doing that. And that really drives us and we really have a lot of fun doing that. Is that important to you behind the scenes as well? Are you trying to staff with diversity in mind? It always has been. I've done that uh, since I started running shows. My first one was the PJs and, right. you know, and Bernie Mac show and all the shows that I've run. I've always done that. In fact, the press always asked me those questions. I've said, you guys shouldn't ask the people who run Friends that question and Frazier. You shouldn't be asking me. I'm the one that does it. You know, I'm the wrong person to be confronted with those kind of questions. It's not only really confronting, right? The point is, no, you're, no, no, you're, not that you're confronted, yeah, but you're an anomaly. Yeah. Uh, I talked to Sam B. She's on next week. And yeah. again, she's raising her hand and saying, I would like to actually not have all white dudes from Harvard running yes. the show. Right. Yes. It's different. It's a conscious decision to do it. It's never. It's not an accident. And you have to bring people into that arena so they can compete and, and, and bring people up that way. And then you get a, a more diverse array of people who are prepared to run shows and to do that. You know, I've been a showrunner in this business. I served on the board of directors of the Writers Guild. You know, I've been involved behind the scenes trying to make those things happen. I've hired female directors, you know, all kinds of different people to help, you know, as much as I could behind the scenes when I was one of the people in charge of hiring and that kind of thing, you know, to help make those things happen. So I've been proud of that my whole career. And, and But you think that has a practical benefit for your show? You're not just absolutely. doing it by altruism? Oh, no, absolutely. It's just that people think that if you do that, somehow you're losing something. You know, it's like, no. <laughs> you know, like it's a trade-off. No, it's a trade-in. You know, it's 
it's a positive thing. You know, you just have to make a conscious effort to find it. Because many of those people are just invisible. It's not even an effort to keep people out. It's really an invisibility factor. There's just a lack of awareness of who's out there. Larry Wilmore, yeah. thank you for your time. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really like talking to you. If you guys like listening, please subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes. I believe you can get this now on Google Play, right? My producers are nodding. Go to Google, too. Go and, subscribe on Google and iTunes. And get some socks. Get some socks. Uh, there's more free Recode content for you. Kara Swisher has Recode Decode. Lauren Good, who you heard earlier, has uh, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Lots of great content. Thanks, Mac Weldon at MacWeldon.com. Thanks, Sortable. Thanks, Pro Flowers. Thanks, Digital Media. Thanks, everyone. Uh, this is Rico Media. Sam B. is here next week. Yes. I love that, Sam. Joe Miller's running that show, by the way. and she It's is a great fierce. show. It's an unbelievable show. Sam's fantastic. Tune in. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. Bye now.